John, we're joined this week by the Braves general manager, Alex Anthopoulos. Yeah, I'm one of our favorite guys to deal with. It's going to be interesting to talk to him. He obviously basically set out uh, this free agent frenzy. We're going to see what he says about it and uh, should be interesting. You know, maybe he made the right decision. Well, we're going to talk about a lot of teams' decisions besides talking to Alex because we're going to discuss the nine teams that have spent nine figures or more already in free agency, tell you the ones we like, tell you the ones we don't like, Boston Red Sox, and more on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, John, we've been busy fellas. So has the industry so far. Pre-Christmas, we're not used to this. The off-season has really stretched out with the best players the last few years. But as we're sitting here about a week before Christmas, uh, John, it, there's been $3.4 billion, with a B, dollars spent on free agency. And really, nine teams have been the engine of this. There are nine teams over $100 million. I'll just go quick. Yankees, Giants, Mets, Phillies, Padres, Cubs, Rangers, Astros, and the Red Sox. John, who's the winner of the $100 million club? You're right about the timing of this. You know, I remember a few years ago, Bryce Harper, he signed, what was that? And it seemed like late February. I mean, we're not even to Christmas. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, looking at it right now, I think the I don't want, want to be provincial, but I feel like the Yankees and the Mets have both done great. You know, I mean, obviously bringing Judge back, that's the big fish. Um, he was the best player in baseball last year and uh, set the home run record. And then, of course, he wanted pitching and they brought in Rodon, who is an outstanding pitcher when healthy. So. Uh, they have a great front four, so I like what they've done. And I think the Mets have at least replicated that the team the team they had last year, which was a 101-win team. I think they're a little bit better. You know, I prefer Verlander to DeGrom. I, you know, I guess I've become the DeGrom detractor. I'm big on dependability, so I like. Is that a capital D, small e? No, small D. Or to, oh, okay. Small D, uh, capital T. Um, yeah, I mean, I like what the Mets did. They brought back Nimmo. They brought back Diaz. Uh, those were the two key guys for me to bring back, and they needed to um, replicate that rotation, which was excellent last year. Obviously, lost Bassett, lost Walker, but bring in Senga, bring in um, Quintana, as well as Verlander. We have the press conference We're gonna, I'm going to go to, and you're going to go to today. Uh, I think the Yankees and the Mets probably did the best. Uh, but, you know, I, I love these teams that spent. I understand uh, some of them spent more than we thought they were going to spend on certain players. But uh, I, I always give an A for effort when, when there is that. Yeah, you know, uh, I've got to say I've liked the Mets offseason better than the Yankees. Uh, I do think there's a heck of a lot of risk on Rodon. Obviously, a lot of risk long term on Judge uh, I don't like the Tommy Canely reunion. Uh was not a fan of his when he was here. I think there was better ways to even use the smaller amount of money. 
Look, they they did stuff where they are really rolling it for the short term here. To your point, they've got four really good starters up front. They've got Judge back. They had their lefty hitter who they really wanted disappear on them and Andrew Benatendi signing with the White Sox. I think they're going to be uh, trouble trying to find another lefty bat they really like in this marketplace. You know, it doesn't seem like they're big on Conforto giving them that second year, but who knows? You know, do they have to fall down to David Peralta? But back, you know, to the Mets, I, I think one of the victories of this offseason is Steve Cohn simply showing, I'm not playing by your rules. I have the money. And just being the stalking host, John, I, let, let me compliment my co-host. You did a great interview with Steve Cohn. Any, everybody should go to nypost.com and look that up. And he really took you into the Korea negotiation. And think about that, John. In the old days, not long ago, the Wilpons on this team, when we talked about the Mets being opportunistic, we were talking about them doing what? Finding a million or $2 million reliever on the margin, bringing back Rene Rivera for the 400th time. Like now, now when they're opportunistic, opportunistic, as was revealed in your interview with Steve Cohn, he thought there might be an avenue there. Like there were teams maybe he didn't want to play for, maybe the Giants weren't going where he thought, and he thought he could stare in there. I mean, we would have been talking about with penalties, him bringing the payroll up towards $500 million. So the victory is really for imagination and for Met fans. They know their owner. When the big players are in it, the Mets are in it now for everyone. Yeah, I mean, as he said, there'll always be another free agent, but they, he really loved the idea of Correa, <clears throat> excuse me, at third base. Correa, I think, is a terrific defender. He's in that mold of Machado and Arenado. I think he would have been good at third, but it's it's funny. He was not really a perfect fit. They have a third baseman. Obviously, Escobar was really good at the end of last year. Beatty is their second-best prospect. Uh, obviously, they're set it short with Lindor, and he was still willing to go there. And when he said... To me, that uh, we got there a little late, or we got there too late. Uh, he, really, you could hear the lament in his voice. He was, he was wishing that he'd gotten Correa and run that tax up to a hundred million dollars. Can I ask you something? Because you, you, you talked to him, and I've been thinking about this a lot since reading your story. And again, really, I do encourage people to go, go read it uh, because it, you know, it's Cone doesn't talk on the record as fully as he just talked to you. Um, and I thought it was really insightful. Do you think if the Yankees dawdled, he ultimately would have got in on Judge? Like that he needed to take care of other business, but if you were going to do a late end run on Correa, why wouldn't you do it? If you thought the market was there, why wouldn't he have said, hmm, if he's not going back to Yankees, why don't I jump in on this? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible. I do think there is some limit. He did... I believe well, he hasn't shown it to us yet. Some limit. I mean, he did suggest close to 300 million for Correa, so he was technically outbid by 50 million. He told me and you that he that that you should be able to win on a 300 million dollar payroll. That was the other time he talked fully was on our podcast and well, 300 million that's that was like he's in the left lane on the highway and 300 millions in the right lane now. Well, you notice he said you should be able to win on three hundred million. We, I think, we all took too much stock into that, and and uh, you know, we we assumed that meant that we're going to only spend three hundred million. He, he just said we should be able to. He's trying to. What he told me is he's trying to bridge the gap. They didn't have a great farm system. You know, I don't know this is going to go on forever like this. He's hoping that the farm system really develops some great players. Obviously, they drafted five or six players they really like last year at the top of the draft. 
Well, actually, that was this year. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, for now, that's where he's going. But, you know, as an MLB person told me, and I do believe he is actually losing money. I mean, I know a lot of teams report losses, and it's hard to believe that more than the Marlins lose money, maybe the Padres now. Uh, I do believe he's losing money. When I asked him how much he's losing, he said it's bigger than a bread box. He didn't say exactly how much he's losing. Uh, but I do believe that he's losing quite a bit of money. And an MLB person told me if he loses $200 million a year for 10 years, that's still only $2 billion over time. God, I hope they say that about me sometime. We only lost two billion. Look, even the million would be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, John, I, 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 we mentioned this on the podcast last week, and I'll reassert it now. I think that he looks at this much like he looks at his art, which is the value of art until you resell it, is the joy it gives you and the status it gives you. This is giving him clearly great joy. It's giving him great status. And again, he came in not with the greatest reputation in the business world. He had the largest fine ever in the history of uh, the SEC, had to close his previous firm. And now he has an entire fan base that would lay down across railroad tracks for him. So I think that he would spend that money for all three of those items, and he's gotten a lot out of it. On the other end, we have a team that traditionally used to spend an awful lot. It used to be the Yankees and the Red Sox. And the Red Sox are one of our teams. They're the lowest over the hundred million. I hate to anticipate because we've known each other a long time, John, and you always uh, deceive me when I think I know, but are the Red Sox your team in this nine that maybe you like the least? Yeah, I'm not going to surprise you here. I mean, I'm with the crowd on this one. Uh, I don't get it. The biggest mistake they made was uh, offering Bogarts that one year extension in spring training. I think they upped it to 120 million sometime around the end of the season or just after the season. And then they were around 170 million. So they were outbid by over $100 million for their own homegrown player. I, you know, I'm not sure. I don't think it's that they didn't like Bogarts. I think everybody likes Bogarts and thinks he's a terrific player. I think they are averse to those huge contracts. We saw that with Mookie Betts and ended up trading him. And that has turned into a disaster. And you know, I mean, obviously Bogarts is not Mookie Betts, but he is a terrific player and gives the Padres a fourth superstar. And it's incredible to see now that the Padres could not afford Chase Headley had to ship him off to the Yankees. I don't know how long ago that was, seven, eight years ago. Now have four superstars on the team. And we're talking about Boston, and they are really under the gun in terms of trying to extend Devers, who is a free agent after the year. So they're working on it. And, uh, you know, I, they put themselves in this position. It's it's a rough one. And, and also to sign Yoshida and end up spending $105 million there, including the posting fee. You know, I mean, that's more money than they offered Bogarts in spring training. It just looks a little bit odd. It really does. It feels like a kid with an Etch-A-Sketch. Like, I'm not really sure what they're doing. Uh, they they try to go both ways at the last trade deadline. They end, you know, if you're going to make the offer they made to Bogarts last year, which was what to add 30 million on, make it a three year 90 million. Don't do that. Don't do that. We know he's not. That's a Scott Boris client. I, I don't think any agent would have accepted that. You're just insulting a core two time champion player. Then you give that kind of money to Trevor Story. Maybe that would have gotten it done with him. Story isn't as good a player as Bogarts. And even as I'm sitting here, let, let, and I, I look at who they've done, you know, when they've decided to spend this $160-plus million, this 
offseason. To your point, Yoshida, I mean, look, look, we're always surprised. But if the industry is right, there's this sense that they paid double on him or a third more on him. Kenley Jansen for two years at $32 million, The Braves, smartly, you know, Alex Anthopoulos is our guest uh, later in the show, John. You know, they got him for one at 16. I think we started to see even more fraying with him while he was able to do the job. You decided to give him two. He's the slowest worker in the sport. We're about to have a pitch timer, right? Like, and so he, you're going to ask a real old dog to do new tricks. Turner, you know, like there, there was some fade there. You're bringing him in as a first baseman DH. He's a career um, third baseman. I do. The only signing I like was Chris Martin. I think he's a very good relief pitcher to some team. We saw Jolie Rodriguez. I don't even get one year or two million for Jolie Rodriguez. So I, even when they're spending, I'm not exactly sure what the theory of the crime is here. Are they trying to build a bullpen and then like have Alex Cora work some magic and try to win with Fenway Park and bullpen? Guess they've decided these superstar players are not worth these prices on these long deals. Bogarts, you know, let's face it, got an 11-year deal to age 41. You know, they weren't going to go there. They should have acted earlier. It's easy to say that now. I mean, did anyone see this market going where it did? Can excuse them for that. But, uh, I mean, they put themselves under the gun with bets, and now they're really under pressure, and they're in a position where they overpaid now for Jansen. You know, I had an expert do contract predict contracts and he came he did pretty well he was a little under on almost all of them uh including bogarts but he was way under under on jansen so i'm glad you you pointed that out i don't think anybody saw a two-year deal coming there and yoshida as you said that looks like an overpay i mean i'm not a scout i've seen the highlights he looks like a great hitter to me but he's a below average defender from what they say and other teams saw them as a 50 million dollar player not a hundred million dollar player Maybe the bad defense gets covered up 80 times a year in Fenway if you're playing left field. Perhaps that hurts. Uh, helps. John, you mentioned uh, Raphael Devers. I will say this. I think at this point, the Red Sox should just go all the way and trade him. I really do. I, 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 He's a free agent at the end of the year. If you're lining up bets, Bogarts, and Devers, the worst long-term bet on the group is Devers. And I, I like him. I think he's one of the 10 or 12 best hitters. But he's young, though. He's young. He's young, but he's barely a third baseman already. So you're really paying for first baseman DH at some point, probably pretty early in this contract. All things being equal now, if Justin Turner showed up here five years ago, he'd be the third baseman and Devers would be the first baseman, right? Like like Devers is there because there's not a better option and you probably don't want to insult him before you give him the, you try to give him a contract. I think at this point, Boston has the fifth most talent in the division. They've made clear mistakes here. I think they have to go all in, if not on a rebuild, on a reshuffle, and just go ahead and see if they can make the most of Devers, sink down in the in, a, in probably the toughest division in the sport again, try to get a high draft pick, and then use their money next offseason. You want to go out and try to sign Manny Machado and Shohei Otani in the same offseason – you should have plenty of money to do that because you certainly didn't spend it on good players yet. You've spent it up seemingly on a lot of junk. Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, you know, in this market, you know, if they just gave him what he was looking for, which was $300 million plus, they just threw in the towel. Uh, they would really be getting a bargain compared to the other guys based on the age, right? I mean, he's the same age as Soto, basically, right? And Soto turned out $440 million. It's a middle-of-the-order hitter, you know, and uh, in this market – you know, Correa got 
350 and he got more he's he's a little bit younger than Turner right so he got more a little bit more money um you know I think Devers on a on a mar- in a market would get at least 350 and probably more right he's 20 he's two years younger than than Correa and I met clear middle of the order hitter uh not that Correa isn't but um I would just throw in the towel and try that but at this point you know if you're Devers you know you're doing them a favor by taking that three hundred million. I think, right? I mean, if Soto's worth four forty plus, you know, Devers probably should be looking for four hundred million, not three hundred million. But that being said, if it's a if it's now the price is up to four hundred million, I'm with you. They they to bring him back now with the team that they have now, they're not going to win anyway. I you know hate to say that, but I'm with you. If 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 they can't get it done at three hundred million, they should look to trade him. John, why don't we uh, wrap up this segment uh, by asking a broad question that we're dealing with a lot. We're seeing the return of the super long contract. Uh, And besides expensive, teams essentially are deferring the money by doing these out years. You mentioned like Bogarts to 41. Uh, I'm watching what I think are smart teams with money like the Dodgers, the Braves, essentially sit out this marketplace. Are we seeing kind of like the rush after a CBA expanded playoffs uh, to spend money. And there's going to be a lot of regret starting from about April 1st, 2023 forward for a long time. I don't think the regret is going to come that early. You know, I, I one of these deals will go horribly wrong from the beginning. Well, probably we've seen Rendon and Strasburg, right? Those, those did not go well. Um, Probably one of them will. Uh, it's hard to pick out which one. These are all terrific players as we sit here now. And I, I think the teams understood going in that at the end of this deal, these deals, they're not going to be good deals, uh, at least the last few years of these deals. But the reality of it is Judge is getting $40 million a year. You know, the Yankees are probably figuring he's worth $80 million at the beginning of this deal. Now he's a, a, a particular case. You know, he's a he's – you know, one guy who's really a guy who's the face of the team and the face of baseball, and that raises the value. Now, I understand the memorabilia money is split, but I do think that uh, the ratings, you know, we, they can make money there, and uh, his value is certainly way, way higher than $40 million at the beginning, and I think the teams are figuring the, the guys that they did sign, they're getting a bargain at the beginning of the deal, and uh, they're paying extra at the end. I, I'm assuming that's what they think. The Padres were interesting, though, that they were willing to go for or wanted to go 14 years with Judge. That wouldn't have flown with Major League Baseball. You can't be employing someone and assuming he's still going to be able to play at age 43, 44. I think 41 is probably the logical cutoff, so I think they probably got it right. The next great player who shows himself out of the minors at like 20 or 21 when he gets his 20-year $500 million contract, we'll see if MLB uh, tolerates it or not. And uh, the one I wonder about long term uh, is I do really like Trey Turner as a player, but I wonder once he loses a step, it's so important to his game. I wonder what the greatness of him is long term. Questions we'll ask uh, and answer as time goes along. It's in the NL East, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about the NL East with our guest, Alex Anthopoulos, who joins us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayman. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and we're thrilled to be joined by the general manager of the 2021 champion Atlanta Braves, defending now four-time or five-time NL East uh, champion Atlanta Braves, Alex Anthopoulos. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Alex, I see you're bundled up. Uh, I believe you're back home in Canada. Uh, I'm assuming you're out in the cold because $3.4 billion have been spent so far this offseason in free agency. And I want to get everyone right who you've signed in free agency so far. That's Jordan Luplo and Nick Anderson for about $2.275 million. That's less than 1%, a fraction of 1% of what's been spent. Do you feel like you're being left out of the party, or was this the plan all along? No, actually, you know, you normally bang on with your facts. Only one guaranteed deal there. The Jordan Luplo deal is the only guarantee that we have. Nick Anderson's a non-guaranteed deal. So it's actually 1.4 of guaranteed money. Okay, so I just dropped you to a lower fraction of 1%. Okay. I can't fudge the numbers. I can't fudge the numbers. So, look, it's um we made a obviously we did a ton of signings during the summer, signing a lot of our guys long term. I think we have I don't I haven't done the math since all these signings have come through, but I think at least at the beginning of the offseason, we had the most guaranteed money uh going out 7, 8, 9 years in any team in the game. So, we've obviously made a lot of commitments, long-term commitments. And with that, we have a lot of spots that are um, set and, um, you know, not to say that we can't improve or we don't have areas we can get better, but a lot of our position player group is pretty much set. Four fifths of our rotation is set. We're going to have some young guys competing for the five spot. And, you know, the bullpen was an area we wanted to add at least one guy. Joe Jimenez was that guy. So we haven't been all that active in terms of signings, but we have made two trades um, of guys that we think are going to be very important to us. I've got to ask you about Dansby Swanson. That's the elephant in the room. I mean, uh, we know that you made an effort in the season to try to keep him. Um, did you make some effort in the uh, winter to try to keep uh, Dansby Swanson as your shortstop? And um, I'm, are you all surprised at where it went? I mean, I think we all thought the Cubs were a possibility, but obviously the the, the numbers got up there. You know, uh, $177 million, uh, I don't think we would have predicted that early on. Um what do you think about Dansby going and did you try this winter? Yeah. So <clears throat> I've been asked about this a, a bunch since that, that news broke Saturday night. And I've kind of come back and said, until it's, it's the deal is announced by the Cubs. I, you know, I'll certainly him more comment on it, but I, I can, I can speak in uh, without being specific to him. Look, we had Dansby played short at an amazing level last year in the last five years for us. He's a tremendous player. Um, you know, he's a huge value to our club, us, and to our, our team. Putting him aside, look, this offseason, the free agent market for the guys that have been announced and have signed, there's no doubt there's been tremendously strong deals. It's an important position. You know, we know that. It's the captain of the infield. It's just a critically important spot. And um, from our st standpoint, I mean, guys like Swanson were a huge part of our su success. So the way things look right now um, – Right now, we're going to go into the season with uh, Orlando Arcia or go into spring training with Orlando Arcia and Vaughn Grissom both competing to start it short. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But look, we're, we have to replace 
um, someone that put up a six war a year for us and did amazing things in, in our room and in our cl- clubhouse as well. So, you know, beyond that, I probably, you know, it's probably not the right time to get into any specifics until that deal does get announced, but obviously I've seen it and so on, but I think it's fair to say, you know, the off season, there's been some great contracts for players and these guys, they, they've earned that, right. Right. They got the free agency. They played at a high level shortstops, a demanding position. And um, you look at all these teams that had, had, had needs. Um, I'm not surprised. You know, John mentioned the elephant in the room when he uh, mentioned Swanson uh, reportedly has uh, left your, your team to uh, join the, uh, the, uh, the Cubs. Uh, I, I wonder if I could talk about another elephant in the room. Like Fre- Freddie Freeman left you last year. You still came back. You still won the division. They're represented by the same agency. Do you have an XL problem that you're not being able to get things done with kind of players we think of as core Braves? They were both champion Braves and they left. And obviously there was a lot of bad blood, at least initially, it seemed when the Freeman thing didn't go well. No, there's no no concerns at all. Um, we traded for Jake Odorizzi last summer. Uh, we traded for Colby Allard this past year, uh, this past offseason. Um, look, you know, you make offers and hopefully things get done. And look, I think if you look at statistically, when guys get to free agency, it's not to say you can't sign them back, but the odds are overwhelmingly that most guys that get to free agency don't end up going back to their club. That doesn't always occur. We've had guys that have become free agents and have signed back. And there's certainly been examples. You look at the Mets where guys have signed back. Um, But no, I think it's, I think, look, with a lot of these things, when you look at the total dollars, um, we've just been short, you know, and guys, how do you begrudge, how do you begrudge anybody um, for, it's, you know, it's one thing for guys to leave a little bit of money on the table. It's completely something else um, to leave a large amount, amount of money on the table. And then, you know, no one owes the Atlanta Braves anything when it comes to that. So, I think this just comes down to us being competitive and we have to work with what we have and try to fill out a, a team where we can have 26 guys. I think the one thing we've tried to avoid is putting too much of our payroll into one or two or three players. We want to be able to spread that around. And, um, you know, it's just one, one of those things that some of these players are getting amazing deals. They, they, they deserve those deals. I used this example the other day on the radio. You know, Josh Donaldson was the same thing. Great player. We wanted him back. He was offered a lot more from the Twins than what we were prepared to do. And it's not to say he wasn't worth that. But for us and our payroll and what we had in place, we didn't think it would make sense to allocate that much money, that much percentage of our of our payroll to one player when we have other areas to fill. And you've, you have signed a lot of guys to long-term deals. And I would say, you know, from afar, they look very logical to even better, to very good. I mean, Austin Riley has stepped out a bit at $212 million, but he's a terrific player, one of the best players in the National League. But some of the other star players, Acuna most notably, look like bargains. Uh, I mean, is this your MO or you're the one guy operating with a team that is not owned by, you know, one or a couple individuals. You're owned by a corporation. You know, the, some people think that you have a limit at $22 million a year for a player. Is there some kind of, I don't know if say hard and fast rule, but some kind of guideline that limits you? Or are you just a very logical, cautious guy? Yeah, we don't. I, yeah, there's no doubt by design. You've seen a lot of contracts that cap out at 22. Um, that wasn't a hard and fast rule. I think it just starts with one or two players. Um, and it's set that way. And obviously in the negotiations, 
it allows you to structure things a certain way and set a ceiling. That doesn't mean for the right player you wouldn't change. But look, in some in instances, we chose we chose to front load those those deals to keep it at 22 so we could make sure as guys got more expensive and our team got more expensive and the young guys got more mature in terms of the salary structure and so on, we still were not overly top-heavy and didn't have too much percentage of payroll. So, look, it could have been 20. It could have been 24. It just worked out that way. Um that we ended up at 22 and then the next deals that all come around. Um, I, I think everyone basically ends up being in the same area, but look, I think all these deals that we did, the negotiations were not on based on individual salary. It came down to what the guarantee was. What were the total guaranteed dollars? And then we were given the, the, the latitude at that point to allocate it the way that we wanted to. So some are front loaded, some are back, some are back loaded, um, we're just trying to project out as far as we can uh, to, to, to ensure that we still can fill the other spots on our team. Alex, it's hard not to talk about money this offseason. Uh, again, there's been $3.4 billion spent in free agency. About $800 million of it has been spent by the Mets and the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies are a team that, while they finished third in your division last year, they obviously made a run in the postseason, beating your club uh, and getting all the way to the World Series. You and the Mets played it right to the end, both won 101. You won the division. I wonder what you think of these teams uh, building up further by reaching into their pockets. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if it was, uh, I think it was John's article I read uh, with um, Steve Cohen talking about Correa. And wow, that would have been, I mean, already really good team. So reading that, I was glad he ended up with the Giants. But um, look, I mean, I'd say this each year. Um, these teams, look, they're committed. You have two GMs front offices that are very well run, two ownership groups that are very supportive of their club that committed to winning. And um, it's a great challenge. And each year, I, you know, we worry about it. And, you know, you just we have to worry about what we can and what we can control. And, look, we're aware of it. We've seen the great players that they've added over the years. And we can't get we can't try to match them when it comes to that. We have to just do what works for us. So. I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. I think they're going to continue to get better. Like I said, they're well run. Uh, they've got owners that are committed. It's going to be a challenge for years to, to come, but it's an exciting challenge. And I do think it's good for the game. The NL East, I thought I left the AL East all those years in Toronto, and it was going to be a bit of a relief. And I think the NL East now has become even greater than a challenge than the AL East was back when I was in Toronto. I mean, you look like you still have an outstanding team, even if you've only spent, whether it's $2.2 million or $1.4 million, uh, you still have an outstanding team. You did mention uh, it looks like a competition with uh, Grissom and Arcia at shortstop. I, I was wondering, how comfortable are you with that? I, I know that Grissom really had a nice year for you uh, playing multiple positions. He looked really good, but there are some doubters out there as to whether – I know Ron Washington thinks he can turn him into a major league starting shortstop – how do you feel about where you stand now in terms of your shortstop uh, situation? Yeah, so we're in a position where we're going to have to give young players opportunities. And there are times, I've mentioned this before, where like we gave Christian Papache that opportunity to be the guy in center field for us long term. It was short lived. He got traded. But then you give Mike Harris that opportunity and he does stick. Or we've had a lot of young starters and guys like Freed and Kyle Wright and Strider now have really established themselves. We think Ian Anderson and Soroka will certainly bounce back as well. But we've had other guys that like Bryce Wilson and so on that have been used in trade. So 
just because we're giving young players an opportunity, we're not naive enough to think they're all going to do well. They're all going to be successful. They're all going to have long, great careers being all-stars. That being said, in the position we're in, you know, I talk about long-term spending, payroll, and so on. Uh, you talk about guys being at 20 or $22 million. We're not going to be able to field a roster of 26 guys making $20 million or $22 million. And somewhere around there, we're going to have to take some chances with young players. And we did it with Josh Donaldson at a certain pr- price point. We wanted back. We wanted him back. But once it got to a certain point, um, we were going to take a, a chance, I guess, if you want to put it that way on a guy like Austin Riley, who we believed in, but we weren't convinced or we didn't know he would become the player he was. If we did, we would have tried to sign him back, back then. So um, I think with Vaughn, he's got tremendous talent. He's 21. I understand the concerns and the doubts from a defensive standpoint. Ron Washington, someone that knows a lot more about the infield than I do, or really I would say anybody in our organization. And I probably talked to him five or six times this offseason, and uh, I ask him all the time, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? And I said, I, you know, can he just handle the position from a defensive standpoint? Look, from an offensive standpoint, young players in the league, you hit them at the bottom, you hope they hold their own. Austin Riley's first season with us, full season, you know, when it was a shortened season in 2020, we hit him at the bottom of the lineup with a low 700 OPS, but he got the job done. Uh, Wash is convinced that Vaughn Grissom can handle it. Now, that said, Orlando Arce has got a great arm. He's got great hands. He's been a starting shortstop on playoff teams. The offense has just been so, so, so. He had a nice year swinging the bat, but Vaughn's got to win the job. He's got the upside because of his youth. Uh, Orlando's a nice floor for us. Um, but again, I mean, I'd love to have a guy who's a six win player at short, but at some point, if the, the dollars don't make sense for us, you know, we, we have to take our chances with young players. You know, Alex, as you're talking, I'm getting entranced. So I assume, is this what happens? Why are you able to get, what is it about you, the Atlanta Braves, Atlanta, the organization where you are able to get these deals? I think every time one comes in, we think, you know, good for the player. You know, let's not, you know, just rub our noses and uh, up our chins at like a lot of million dollars. But it also always seems like, oh, if these players are who we think they are, the Braves just did a great long-term deal. What What is it about you? What is it about your organization that makes this possible? Yeah, so, <clears throat> I, you know, there's a few things I, I'd say. So I remember, and I'm talking about Donaldson a lot, but 2015 Toronto, I'd heard a lot about, well, Toronto, this, that, getting players to come there. And I always felt like a great place to play. And I remember asking Josh Donaldson about it. I'm like, what do you think? You know, what what's the knock? He goes, there is no knock. He goes, this is 2015. He goes, you guys hadn't won. And once you start winning and you see it with a lot of clubs, right? Once you start winning, players want to come. So I do think, you know, there's a combination of things. We've been successful the last few years, new ballpark, great place to live. Um, I think our support staff, and I know every GM will say the same thing. I'm biased, but I think our support staff does a very good job making a great place to play. Um, I think, you know, I'm not trying to curry favor here, but our media overall, I've heard our players say they like dealing with our media and our market. Um, and yeah, it's a real downside in New York dealing with me and him, just so you know, you, you keep mentioning <laughs> Donaldson. It might not have gone as great here. For him. Right, right. <laughs> um, so look, and then obviously you're guaranteed and look, we're doing deals a lot earlier than I would have ever done in the past. Right. I you have a guy for six years of control. You'd like to wait three, four five years to know a little bit more about the health, to know a little bit more about the player. Look, we've had examples of young players that started out well 
and have gotten hurt. Um, and things can change, right? And there's plenty of examples of young players across the league that you know you think they're going to be great, and just things happen, right? Performance, some type of injury, and so on. So we've been aggressive in doing these a lot earlier than we want to, and assuming more risk because we're that much farther away. But you know, our thought was let's be aggressive and do it early rather than than wait. Because just like I talked about at, at, at the top of this, the closer you get to free agency, um, it's just harder, right? And especially, look, with the players that, you know, we have lost our free agency. These are elite players. And the better the player, the better the performance, the more people obviously are going to be competing. and It's going to be harder. So um, the, it's a combination of all those things. But I do think that the one of the main components is we're doing it very early, especially this past year. We've been doing deals a lot earlier than I've ever done in my career. You know, Joe mentioned all the good deals. And, you know, when I'm asked to cite a great negotiator in baseball uh, from a team standpoint, I, I always think of you. Your deals are amazing. Um, so I got a kind of a two-part question. You know, the Acuna deal, I, people say Albies too, but the Acuna one really sticks, stands out for me. Do you think there's any um, any downside to getting such a great deal? You know, tell me a little bit about how that came about. Um, and you know, is there concern that the player, you know, he, he looks like obviously he didn't have the greatest year last year, but he looks like a superstar to me. And uh, any concern there that uh, he'll be unhappy? And then also on the others on the other side of the coin, do you have any regret uh, about not going stronger in in the uh, summer for Swanson? Yeah. So um, I'd say this on Acuna at at the time. Um, I believe a lot of the zero plus deals and, you know, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think guys like Paul DeYoung, Tim Anderson in that 25 to $30 million range. Those were a lot of the deals that were done. And I believe the White Sox signed Eloy Jimenez to the highest ever zero plus guarantee at $43 million. <clears throat> and I believe it was that same year. So Eloy Jimenez comes in at the highest ever guarantee at $43 million. Mike Trout, I believe as a three year of service, $144 million deal. So that was the landscape at that time. Um, we signed Acuna then to a $100 million guarantee as a zero-plus player. So less than a year of service, six years away from free agency. So you had the Anderson DeJong deals. Then you had Eloy that jumps that deal to $43 million. Um, and now we had Acuna coming in at $100 million. And Trout was at 144 I believe it was 144 with three years of service. So the context of the deal was it was the greatest guarantee. It was the highest guarantee for a zero plus at the time by more than two times. Um, but look, it obviously exploded beyond that. I think a year or two later, Wander, Wander, Bronco signs a deal just under 200. Fernando Tatis Jr., I don't remember the order, signs a deal for 340. So there's no doubt the, the market moved fast. Um but, and I, we love Ronald. We think he's a great player. You don't know, guys get hurt. He blows out his ACL, comes back last year, still has some complications. We think he'll be back to who, who he was, but it takes time. And, um, you know, I think the one thing is when you're looking at these deals, I think there's two types of deals when you're signing young players. You're either signing um, a shorter deal that allows them a second bite at the apple, where they get, they'll likely get a second contract, or they're one big deal. So Riley at 212 million, Olsen at 168 million. That's highly likely to be their one big deal. They're signed through the age of 35. Um, the other guys you talked about, Acuna and so on, they're signed through the age of 30. Uh, they will get a second deal. So, you know, assuming health and performance and so on, 
you know, we want that to happen. We want them to perform well. They want to perform well and be healthy. You know, they will sign us a, a second deal. So you know, if they if they continue to perform the way they, they can, a guy like Acuna, you know, sky's, sky's the limit. So I do think, again, it's all the, the way you weigh it. Um, but I think it's either you're doing a, your, your first deal to guarantee some money, knowing you'll get the next deal. Or you're doing the one big deal that'll take you through basically your mid thirties. You know, Alex, uh, uh, there's still a lot of baseball stuff I'd love to ask you. Uh, as you know, like when we talk, I'm I'm always an admirer. You know, I play 31st general manager, and I'm always like, God damn it, I really like that Colin McHugh deal, or I like the Nick Anderson. I'll text you, but. John asked the art question of Harrison Bader last week. So I realized to wrap up, I've got to ask the esoteric question this week. I can't ever let Heyman get the better of me, as you know. Uh, the people who are on the Yes Network will obviously notice your hair. We're on a podcast. I will say for those, if I'm trying to give a visual, it's someplace between Max Hedrum, if you remember that, and <laughs> and the hedges in the front of my building. What's going on, what's going on with hedges the hair, Alex? It's early in the morning. I'm at my in-laws. It's early in the morning. I'm in Canada. We're supposed to do this a lot later. You got that through customs? That hair got through customs? (laughs) I think it's fantastic. That's right. I I think, you know, uh, we went went to the White House with the team in September. And President Biden, um, (laughs) when I got a chance to meet him for about... 20 minutes, basically a, a minute tops, uh, made made a comment about my hair and he was very impressed. So and when it came from him, I was pretty proud of that. Um, but it's uh, it's early in, in the morning. It's cold and uh, just a little bit of paste. That's all. That's all it takes. It's amazing. Yeah. He's, didn't he say that uh, if he had your hair, he, he would have been president <laughs> even sooner, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did have a little a one line there that did say he was impressed with it. And if he had hair like mine, he would have been in office a lot, a lot earlier. Uh, everyone always says that I'm presidential, Alex. So I guess I have a lot in common with Biden that we both noticed your hair. Uh, so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Obviously, we've noticed all your deals and how successful your team is also. And uh, with as much as the Braves and Phillies have spent, we expect the Atlanta Braves to be right there again in 2023. And we'll follow it intently. And I hope you'll join us again at some point, Alex. Thanks so much for joining uh, John and I on the show. All right, guys, really got to be on. John, no surprise that uh, Alex Anthopoulos was personable and insightful. We know that from dealing with him for years. What, what was the strong thing you took away from talking to him on our podcast? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for asking that hair question. That was on my mind the entire interview. So uh, good job. You know, it's Woodward, Bernstein and me when it comes to the big questions. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we got some insight into why Alex is so successful. Such a smart guy, really knows the numbers. Incredible negotiator. You know, I don't know if it's partly working for a corporation, not an individual where he, they said it a little bit, but it's a great combination that's allowed them to get great deals I know he's modest about it, but that Acuna deal, the Albies deal, two of the best deals that any team has done, you know, and he did mention that uh, Acuna will be about 30 when that deal's done, so he'll get a second shot at it, so maybe it'll work out for the player as well. But, um, you know, the thing that stands out about to me is that he's just an incredible negotiator. I know he started out in baseball in the ticket office. I know there's money involved in that, but seemed to have been uh, – a good way to go. Maybe it was good preparation for him because uh, to me, he's one of the best negotiators in the game. 
John, as you know, I don't I don't like to gamble, but if you force me to go to Vegas right now, I'd still bet on the Braves to win the NL East. And that's eight hundred million dollars later on the Phillies and Mets. And I think we think both teams aren't done that uh, the owners, John Middleton and especially Steve Cohn, as we know, are going to push as many chips in to try to do this. You know, John Middleton got a taste this year of uh, playing for the World Series, getting in the playoffs finally after a decade uh, where the Phillies hadn't. And it seems like he's as motivated as ever. And Steve Cohn walked in motivated. I don't think he needed to hype it up anymore. And he's pushing in all his chips. And yet, when I look at the teams, I until somebody could beat the NL East champs, which hasn't happened for quite a while yet, I think I still like this brave team that Alex Anthopoulos has helped uh, assemble uh, more than I like the Phillies and the Mets. You know, I, I'd probably go with the Mets at this point, but I think all three teams are outstanding. Three of the top six teams in the game. Mets did win 101 games, same as the Braves last year. Let's not forget that. And I do like the Mets team a little bit better than they did had last year. So I, I'm going to go Mets, but uh, I, I see your point. The Braves are still outstanding. Yeah, you know, one of the things that worries me about the Mets, if worry is the right word, is like things went great for them last year. I, I, I mean, you could point out and say, well, DeGrom hardly pitched, but they went five for five in free agency. Their trade of Chris Bassett was, pardon the pun, a home run. He pitched until the last two starts. He was their most consistent, uh, successful starter in the season. It just feels like an impossibility of doing that over again. And we'll see because the Braves have been great at not, not only development, but getting their players to their major leagues young and them being productive. I do think some of this Mets season is about Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty, if those guys can fill in some offensive holes. You know, I just think Verlander, and again, I hate to knock on DeGrom here again, but I think a full year we're going to get, I think the Mets are going to get from Verlander at this point. He was the best pitcher in baseball in the regular season with a 175 ERA, and uh, DeGrom has been a half-season pitcher the last two seasons. So, you know, I think that's big, that combination of those two all-time greats at the top of the rotation. I think that makes the Mets better this year. So that's why I would go with them. John, you mentioned Justin Verlander. Uh, you and I, uh, I know we're supposed to be evergreen here, but we'll to let the podcasters in. We have to hurry off to uh, the Justin Verlander introductory press conference at Seti Field. And one of the reasons we've been able to do the podcast this week is that our great producers – uh, Andrew Hartz and Jake Brown got up extra early so that we can do that. We thank them for doing that. Thanks for listening to the show, a podcast from the New York Post. Don't forget the Yes app. It drops on Wednesday every week about noon. You get to see Alex Anthopoulos' hair, John and I. That should be a thrill for everyone. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating because we do ask the good art and hair questions week to week, and you'll want us to keep doing that into the new year and we will be back in the new year in 2023 we hope you stick with us on the show with joel sherman and john Hayman.